imagine if you're sitting on your porch with your with a with a kid like a toddler, and uh, you're just enjoying uh, the, the morning. Uh, might be your grandkid, it might be your own kid, and uh, next minute you see a little skunk running along the the grass, and the kid is super excited, and uh, just like you know, has been watching all the Disney movies and said, "This is great. I'm gonna give this skunk a little big hug," and and uh, just super, you know. And as a parent, you'd be like. Uh, no, <laughs> and you'd be pulling your kid back, uh, and the kid would just be so mystified. I mean, like, how could you be so mean? I, I, you just wanted to give, a, you know, skunky a little hug, and and uh, it just always turns out so great when she saw that on Disney Channel, and now you're just a mean parent. But you know, as a parent, that that's not going to turn out well. I mean, you just know. Uh, and in a similar way. Uh, we got to wrestle with two things in the character of God. One is that God really, really does love us. And uh, He wants us to experience His love and experience freedom in Him. But on the other hand, God is saying we do need to obey. And uh, we, we always chafe at the obey part. Like uh, We constantly think, you know, but we know better and we can do things better. And just like a toddler wanting to go play with a skunk, I mean, it just, it just doesn't seem to be any downside. Uh, but there is. And, uh, you know, if we push that forward and we think of teenagers, uh, they're in this classic growth part of their, their lifestyle where God has put something in them to try and explore who they are and figure out what they like and what they don't like. And there's this wrestling match which goes on with parents, like the kids want independence, but they're not totally responsible. And, and really what happens is throughout their later teens, you're hoping that the kids demonstrate responsibility. Because really what the parent wants to do is their parent wants to see the, their child have freedom, enjoy themselves, but they want to see them do it with responsibility. And so it is with God and with us. God delights in blessing us, but he wants to see us do that with some level of uh, responsibility. Like, can we uh, listen to God and will we uh, work within the rules that God is uh, setting up for us? Uh, and, you know, for some people, it just seems like uh, church or religion can just be a whole set of rules, and it's very negative. It's just like, oh, you know, somebody that's in control of the organization tells everybody what to do, and you, you just can't have any, like, freedom, which is totally the exact opposite uh, of what God really wants for us. But there is something uh, in our growth and in our freedom that God gives us more uh, responsibility and therefore more access to experiencing His love when we demonstrate that we're responsible and we can handle it. And uh, when we sort of play God and we say, no, we know what's best, and God doesn't, it typically doesn't go that well for us. But when we say, no, God knows what's best, and uh, we'll play by God's rules, it goes very well for us. I mean, you could think back uh, how you responded when you were a teenager or in your 20s, and uh, no doubt you could uh, think of some things that you wished you didn't do, uh, and if you could do it again, uh, you would do life uh, differently. Uh, uh, 
no doubt even as an adult, uh, we would say, hey, listen, there's some things that we really messed up on, and we realize it after the fact, and we wish we didn't mess up. And so on the one hand, uh, God is giving us a lot of grace, and he's trying to help us and encourage us. Uh, and on the other hand, God is saying, but you need to step up. Uh, you need to live you know, by faith. You need to be responsible. Uh, today I want to talk about this uh, sort of challenge in a way, which is, you know, I've framed this message, if you're looking at your bulletin insert, this way. Have you, have you been avoiding God's best for you? Have you been avoiding God's best for you? Because God really has the best for you. He knows you better than you know yourself. God has great plans for your life. God wants what's best for you. But have you personally been avoiding it because of your disobedience? And so today, I want to just talk about how do we overcome our disobedience towards God so that we can experience the fullness of God's love. Uh, it's not God trying to punish us. It's not God being mean. It's often ourselves self-inflicting uh, you know, steps of disobedience or lack of faith, which prevents God from just really uh, blessing us immensely. So let me just pray. Uh, Jesus, I just pray for your love to pour through here today. I pray that you'd speak to each one of us. Lord, uh, you working in each of our lives, and you know where we're stumbling and where we need to be encouraged and supported. And I just pray that you would do that today through uh, this message, empower my preaching. Lord, I pray that uh, any that might not know you today would come to know you. And so, Lord, I just lift up this message in your name, Jesus. Amen. One of the, the verses that uh, I pulled out of 1 John as we preaching through the series which you're calling Overcoming, but we're using the book of 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John as our uh, sermon series. And uh, this verse in 1 John uh, chapter 3, verse 22 says this, And we shall receive from him whatever we ask, Okay, just think of that. God is saying we shall receive from Him whatever we ask. I mean, so we pray to God, we ask God, and we will receive. But it doesn't stop there. It says because we obey Him and do the things that please Him. Okay, so there's a condition. If we obey God and we do the things that pleases God, God will answer our prayers and He will be for us and He will bless us. And he will do the things that we ask for. It's a, a, an amazing, an amazing promise. And if we do a, you know, a high-view look at the Old Testament, especially the beginning of the, the Bible, we will see this challenge that we have as humans uh, where we are blessed by God, but then we kind of fall short. So, for instance, you've got Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. They've been given every imaginable blessing you can think of. There's just one little thing that they can't do. And that's the very thing that they do. And then they mess up all their blessing and all their presence with God. Uh, and then this becomes like a foreshadow of our lives, you know, on this earth. So, uh, you know, even Father Abraham, guy's like unbelievable, man of faith, obeys God, leaves his country, but he's not perfect. And so, you know, when he's under pressure, he 
kind of fudges truth by saying that his wife is really his sister, and then bad things happen, and God has to kind of correct him. Or you look at the Hebrew people, you know, they living a terrible life in slavery, working seven days a week, and God says, listen, you're going to be my chosen people, I'm going to bless you, and he does, and he removes them out of slavery, and they're no longer working seven days a week, but very soon they just start grumbling. And it's like, you know, wait, we want to go back to our absolutely absurd, terrible situation, uh, because they're just not getting their own way. And Moses, the poor leader, is like, pulling his hair out because, you know, people are always unhappy and grumbling and moaning and complaining. So, I mean, there's just something where God is saying, listen, I'm trying to bless you. I'm trying to give you a really great life. But we in our fallen human nature sort of take it upon ourselves often to say, no, we know better than you, God. And uh, thanks for getting us this far, but we'll take it from here. And then we do and we just mess up. Uh, and God is saying, hey, can we get back to the basics of uh, believing in him and following him? Now, the Old Testament really hangs on uh, this section in Deuteronomy chapter 28. God says this. He says, look, uh, I want to really, really bless you. And this is what blessing will look like. But if you don't follow my blessing, I'm going to curse you. And this is what cursing looks like. Uh, and so it's like there's no... In between, you either like be blessed or you're going to be under God's judgment. And so let me just read a little bit of this so you get the idea if you're not familiar with Deuteronomy 28. Uh, blessings for obedience. And a lot of conditional language. If, if you fully obey the Lord, your God, and carefully keep all his commands that I am giving you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the world. You will experience all these blessings if you obey the Lord your God. I mean, mind-boggling, incredible, hard-to-believe blessings. I mean, here they, these people are slaves. They've got nothing. And yet God is saying, you're going to be like the most blessed nation in the whole world. You'll be superior to everybody. You know, just hard to believe. It says, your towns and your fields will be blessed. Your children will be blessed. Your crops will be blessed. The offspring of your herds and flocks will be blessed. The fruit baskets and breadboards will be blessed. Wherever you go and whatever you do, you will be blessed. Okay, so this is our sort of um, our mindset when we come to God. We should have this kind of understanding of God's personality, that He truly wants to bless us. He is for us and He wants to bless us. But then... God says, but if you do not serve the Lord your God, and then this is what he says, with joy and enthusiasm. Okay, so this is not a matter of obeying like just begrudgingly. God is saying, listen, my life is one that will fill you with joy. And if you obey me with joy, with joy and enthusiasm, you'll experience all those blessings. But if you don't, like if you're super grouchy when I'm, trying to bless you and you just, you know, unable to experience the joy or the enthusiasm, then you're going to lose out on those blessings. And it says, uh, you will serve your enemies whom the Lord will, the Lord will send against you. <clears throat> you will be left hungry, thirsty, naked, 
and lacking in everything. And then it gives another sort of um, ominous warning. It says, you will build a house, but someone else will live in it. You know, it's just this striving, but you're getting nowhere, just because you're disobedient. And we can see a little bit of that in our own lives, where, you know, when we're disobedient, things don't go well. When we are obedient, God just pours on His love and a in blessing on us. Uh, Jonathan Kahn, a Jewish uh, believer in Jesus, highlights this little verse in a way which is kind of interesting, or I think we should all take note of. This verse that says, you will build a house, but someone else will live in it. Uh, Jonathan Carnes uh, says this, The Jewish people were called to build God's house and God's kingdom. Whether with God or without Him, they were anointed as builders. The Jewish people have played a central role in building houses and kingdoms of man, economies, cultures, sciences, capitalism, and communism. Yet over and over again, the Jewish people have been driven out of the places that they have built. The most universal and wide-spanning house of human history, the greatest house in the Jewish, the Jewish people ever built, the church, all nations will come to dwell in it. When the Jewish people return to the house they built, the church, they will find themselves at home at last, in a home that where they will never be kicked out again. You know, and if you ponder this, you think about the way the Jewish people have been unbelievable at building economies and buildings and nations, and uh, yet they've always been persecuted and restless, and the greatest thing that they've ever built was the church. I mean, the church started with Jewish people, all of them, you know, and so eventually they'll come back to the, built, the institution which they built, the church. But all I am saying is, uh, God is in charge. We have the option to live for Him and be blessed, or we can uh, you know, really go against the grain and uh, wonder why we have splinters in our hands when we keep rubbing our hands against the grain. But you and I also know that for many people, or maybe even most people, they couldn't care less about God. And if we perfectly uh, honest about it, many people's lives are doing just fine. I mean, you look at their lives and it, it looks like things are going well and, and their, life, their lives look, uh, look fine. And often uh, those very people look at us, sadly, as Christians, and they say, what a hurting odd bunch. You know, and they look at us with perplexed. But let me just say this. Uh, I think all of us desperately need to be loved by God. And sometimes many in church are, are so grateful for what God has done uh, for, for us because of the brokenness that we've come out of. Uh, or in my own personal life, you know, I lived uh, like half my life without God and the second half of my life with God. So if I had to contrast uh, both, there is no possible way that I'd want to live my life without God. I mean, just no ways. In fact, if I could do a redo and redo my 20s with God, I would 
gladly do that. And if I could do a redo and do my teens with God, man, I would definitely do that. I mean, I would just save myself a lot of hurt. And I would have had a lot more joy. I mean, all the fun that I thought I could do that I actually ended up messing up, I would have far rather done it with God, God's way, and God's plan. So what I am saying is when we come across our friends and that don't know the Lord, there's something that they're all missing. That's the love of God and the personalness of God, that God knows them personally and really does want to enrich their life and have a life that's blessed. Our challenge and our, um, well, our challenge is how do we communicate this to our friends? You know, how do we tell them about our experience of God's love and that everybody really needs God and that you never too happy or too successful or whatever without God because with God it will be better in everybody's life. It just will be. I mean we just know that because of testimony after testimony after testimony. We just know that our lives will be way better with God. So if I jump now into the book of John, first John, and I summarize the book, you could summarize this whole book by saying God is love. That that would be a good summary of the book. You know, by the way, just a sort of side note. A kind of a fun exercise, if you like to read through the Bible on a regular basis, is do this little exercise. It's, it's actually way more difficult than what it seems. When you finish reading a book of the Bible, see if you can find one verse to summarize that book. Or just try and summarize it. Uh, it's a great discipline. I mean, honestly, you will sit there and really... Ponder, like, okay, what verse summarizes this book? Now, for First John, it's super easy. I mean, to come up with God is love, it kind of jumps out at you. And maybe a sub-verse uh, would be, now, love one another, especially people in the church. Like, you, we really need to love each other in the church. I mean, that, that, that covers the book. And covers, actually, Second John and Third John as well. You get that, you got the book. But if you try and find like a summary verse for Ephesians, ah, that's a, that's like, that'll take you some time. I mean, that's a good exercise. But anyway, a summary verse for this book, God is love and love those in the church. And that's what we want to uh, get out of this, this book. Now, if we look at the opening of the book, uh, John is just super excited. He's oozing with joy. And uh, his excitement is this. He's basically, he's basically uh, had the unbelievable privilege of hanging out with Jesus in the flesh. And then he's had this mind-bending experience of coming to the realization that that human Jesus is actually God. And he's now writing and telling everybody, listen, I've got to tell you, I, I, I'm so full of joy and excitement because that Jesus is actually God. And then he's getting into churches and he's saying, listen guys, stop fighting with each other. Start loving each other. I mean, this Jesus is God and I've experienced him. And the first thing we need to do is love each other. And that's the way he starts, starts the book. And it's a wonderful opening uh, section to this book. But what, God, what John does in this book is he gives us a whole bunch of um, faith in action instructions. I mean, this is for people like me, you know, that are just like super, like, need it really plain and simple. Like, 
okay, there's nothing mysterious about this. You know, it's very hard figuring out the Trinity and, and God who we can't see. But how about some like simple steps, like easy to follow, understandable steps? And I've got these in your bulletin insert. But look at these, for instance. I've got a whole bunch here that I've pulled out of the, these little letters. And John is giving us some super easy faith steps. 1 John 2.7, love one another. Love one another. Super easy. I mean, we're talking about in the church, right? I mean, we need to love our neighbor. That's a whole other separate thing. John just like, start off with just loving each other in the church. Now, think about this for a moment. Super simple instruction. But you can't love one another unless you're with one another. I mean, I know this is super deep intellectual stuff. Now, God doesn't say, go find a church that has the best preaching in the world, or like just the best preaching in the area. Uh, he doesn't say, go find a church that has the best worship experience that you can find in the area. Or even better, just get online for crying out, sake, crying out loud. I mean, you can find some really awesome preaching online, way better than you'll ever hear me preach. You'll hear worship way better than you'll ever hear. Just go online. God doesn't say, I want you to love your earbuds and just fall in love with your iPhone. Like just, no, it's one another. I mean, you, you miss everything if you don't have the one another part. I mean, you can listen to Caleb in your car and, you know, whoever your favorite preacher is, but that doesn't help the one another part. The one another part is doing what you're doing now. When we get together as one another, that's God's plan. He invented the thing called a church for that reason. And there'll always be a need for small churches, large churches, because people need to experience, or people need to put into practice, not experience, they need to put into practice loving one another. We need to experience other people's love. But for any of you that have been a Christian for more than you know, a few years, your job is to love other people. Uh, it's not easy. I mean, it's easier to love people than easier to love. But God is saying we need to love everybody. And in church, you know, hopefully you'll find people of all different shapes, sizes, nationalities, understandings. And God is saying, great, now love those people. Not just the people from your tribe and your clan and your way of thinking and your political party. No, love everybody. I mean, okay, that's sort of unique, overwhelming, and only with God's supernatural love can we do that and experience the incredible joy that comes from doing that. It's the way it is. 1 John 2.28 Remain in fellowship with Christ. 1 John 2.29 All who do what is right are God's children. Okay, he has a great faith step. Just do what is right. And don't like get all technical, okay, so what is right? You know what's right. Just do what's right. I mean, do what's right. 1 John 3, 2, when people do what is right, it shows that they are righteous. 1 John 3, 10, anyone who does not live righteously and does not love other believers does not belong to God. Ouch! Wow, like, okay, so you're out, you don't belong to God. I thought if I just believed in God and received Him and confessed my sin, 
wait, this says something else. It says, anyone who does not live righteously and does not love other believers does not belong to God. Ooh. Okay, uh, we get the point. Be practical. Love other folks in the church. 1 John 3, 17. If someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need but shows not compassion, how can God's love be in that person? Practical. I mean, God is just so practical. And, you know, i got to brag on this church. This church in this area has been, like, unbelievable, phenomenal. I, I mean, again and again, I'll hear secondhand how people have just, like, opened their wallets, helped people out, you know, time, money, energy, prayer, any way people can help people. I, they're just, I have hundreds of stories of wonderful acts of kindness that have been done in this church for other people. It's really encouraging. And when you hear it and you see it, you realize that God is alive in that person, uh, even more so than the person receiving the gift. I mean, the, the person giving, it, it's like they're doing it for Jesus. They're experiencing Jesus' love. There's something which is fulfilling, which only you know, God can, can do and give. Then summarizing it all in the second letter, to John 6, it says this, Love means doing what God has commanded us, and He has commanded us to love one another. Okay, if you want a summary verse for the 2 John, that's it. One of the ways that we experience our uh, ability to be obedient is to help the church where the church needs help. I mean, many people in this church serve and volunteer in incredible ways. And it's surprising how people get blessed. You, you're on the worship team, you're on the sound team, you're on the IT team, you, you know, you're on the, the children's ministry teaching team, you're on the security team. You know, whatever team you're on, it, it's serving in whichever way you serve is a way of loving God and loving people and serving the community. And uh, it's actually really rewarding. And it's part of how God has wired us. He's saying we should find a way of loving others practically in church in one shape, one way, one form or another. Uh, it just is the way it is. You know, uh, blessings through obedience. Uh, I just have so many situations in my life where God has blessed me hugely, uh, where I felt, okay, I've been slightly obedient and then God has blessed me. And for me personally, you know, again and again, it's been in the area of finances. Before I was in ministry, uh, I, we were, I was in public accounting. I absolutely hated it. I wasn't really a, a very good public accountant. Uh, and uh, I remember grumbling to God because uh, I, it was my first job when it came to the States, and, and it was the middle of a recession, and uh, I got pulled in front of the partner, and the partner said, look, we're going to lay you off. And I just got a brand new baby, and uh, it was kind of awkward. I was like, okay, how am I going to provide for myself? How am I going to make ends meet? And the partner was kind of like apologetic. You know, he said, look, I, I know this is a terrible time for you in your life, but the, the firm is not doing well, and you're basically the worst employee here, so, you know, you got to go. <laughs> and, and I remember something rose up in me, and I just said, you know, I felt like faith rise up in me. And I said, to, I said his name was Mike. I said, Mike, it's quite okay. You don't have to feel bad about it. I, in fact, I'm really grateful that you gave me an opportunity that you gave me 
because this was my first job in the States. It's very hard to get a first job. I said, please do not feel bad at all about having to fire me. Uh, uh, God will take care of me. I just knew it. And, you know, uh, I, I got another job in, in Worcester in public accounting, and that worked out equally stinky. I was equally bad. And, uh, you know, I, was, I didn't quite get fired there, but I think it was pretty close. And uh, I remember just grumbling to God, and I said, God, you know, but I've been faithful to you in tithing. I really have. I've been faithful to you in tithing, and, and I'm just like in a, you know, I'm just like a loser. I just like not doing well in this job. And I met a guy at a breakfast, and he said, describe the, no, I said to him, I'm looking for a job. And I'd written down, because that's where I am, all the things that I was looking in, in a job. And I was speaking to my friend, and I said to him, man, I'm, I'm very unhappy in public accounting. I'm looking for a job. These are the criteria I'm looking for in a job. Uh, and he stops me, and he says to me, you're pulling my leg, right? And I said, nope. He said, you know, I've got an advertisement running in the Boston Globe with exactly what you've put in there. I said, really? He said, why don't you apply for that job? I said, I think that's a great idea. And I did apply for that job. And against all the odds, in the middle of a recession, when like 200 other better qualified people applied for the job, I got it. And it was an awesome, awesome job. I mean, talk about, I mean, my salary went like up by three times. I mean, it's just like, wait, how did, I wasn't even looking for a big increase. You know, just massive. And then I remembered, wait, God, this is that. This, you blessing me because of my puny amount of obedience. And even though it didn't seem like it at the time, like, you know, years were going by in public accounting, I'm like, I'm not feeling it, Lord. It was like tough. And finally, when it did happen, man, it was like, yeah, it was huge. It was just a flow. It was like overwhelmed with God's love. Uh, let me just uh, finish this way. When we sin, it separates us or we stiff arm God. And when we obey, it allows us to draw closer to God, and God blesses us the way He wants to bless us. And so we have to look at our own lives, and we have to say to ourselves, where are we stiff-arming God? Which areas of our lives are we saying, God, I'll do it my way. I know what you want me to do, but I'm going to do it my way. And which areas of our lives do we just need to say, God, look, I want to be blessed by you. I know you want to bless me. What does your word say? How do I walk and operate and live in this truth? How do I experience your blessing by being obedient to you? And then be obedient. I mean, do what you need to do. Uh, confess to God where you've messed up, where you've lacked faith, where you're feeling inadequate, and ask God to fill you and support you and help you. God wants to bless your kids. But in obedience... You need to bring your kids to church. I mean, you can't expect God to bless your kids if you never bring them. Or you bring them like so occasionally that they hardly even know their teacher or, you know, whatever. If you want God to bless your kids and God wants to bless your kids, they need to experience Jesus, learn about Jesus and whatever. But God wants to also bless your relationships with your spouse, with your kids, with your friends. But on the other hand, you need to obey God. You need to forgive when people offend you. I mean, you really do. 
You need to forgive. The issue is not the issue. The issue is like, are you now unable to have a relationship because you just won't or will not forgive? God wants to bless you financially, but you have to have faith to tithe. I mean, it's, there's no way around it. God wants to bless you in so many different ways. The most sort of, you know, the way Jesus puts it, he wants to give you a rich and rewarding life. He wants to bless you in every facet of your life that when you think about it, you say, my life has been rich, it's been rewarding, and it's been fulfilling. That's what God wants to do. But he's saying, trust him, walk with him, be uh, available to let God correct you. Will you do that? Will you allow God to bless you? The things that you're thinking about, the things that you are stiff-arming God for, will you give it up and trust God and allow God to bless you and bless your relationships in this church that you can experience love and love other people and be part of the plan that God has for you? Or do you want to just keep doing it your own way? with your own outcome. Why don't we stand and let's uh, spend some time just being thankful to God, focusing God, uh, blessing God, and experiencing God's love for us. Why don't we have the worship team uh, come on up and... Uh, one of the things God really commands us to do is to love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul, you know, our strength. And worship is such an awesome way of pouring that out to God and saying, God, I just want to worship you. I want to sing to you. I want to be thankful to you. So let's do that as we, we worship now. Thanks, guys.